be preaching on hope this morning. I'm thankful for what God does in, uh, in our lives. And thank you for that, that song that really was uh, perfect. I don't want to be accused of plagiarism, so I'm just going to say it's time to preach. Job chapter 14 is where we'll find our text. Job chapter 14. We're going to read verses 7 through 9. And then we're going to back up and read some verses out of chapter 13. I was reading this... Um, in my office, I think it was Tuesday, and God just really made, made this passage of Scripture sort of jump out at me. And before I even had any points or had any idea of what I would say, I, just, I knew this is what I was going to be preaching on uh, this morning. And so I, I texted Pastor Shifflett and told him, I'm going to be preaching out of Job 14, 7 through 9, and the title is going to be The Scent of Water. And about five minutes later, he sends me a text back with his notes on this same passage and same title that he had preached a few years ago, but none of it's plagiarized. I, I, uh, <laughs> I know that uh, the Lord gave me this message, and I'm, I'm really hoping that he uses it in your life. This is uh, our first week on staff, my first week as the associate pastor. I picked the right week uh, to come on. Brother Payne really helped encourage me as he began listing all the things that have gone wrong since I started on staff. He didn't call me an albatross, but he might as well have. Uh, Job chapter 14, and uh, the verse, verse 7 is where we'll start. It says, For there is hope of a tree. And as I sat up here and heard those ladies sing, There is hope. I knew what I was preaching, they didn't. There is hope of a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud, and bring forth boughs like a plant. Yet through the scent of water. That's all it takes. When everything looks terrible, and it's cut down, and it's dying, and it's awful... Through the scent of water. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I need your encouragement. I need your uh, touch to preach. I need you to speak through me. And I beg of you, uh, Lord, that this message would make a difference in somebody's heart, uh, somebody's life, and somebody's decision making. Uh, Lord, we think of those that are out uh, this morning and pray that you'd use uh, this message to help them and encourage them as well. We need your touch and we ask you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I, I, I do know there are several folks watching on live stream and some that are here visiting for the first time. And so just very quickly, I would like to recap this story of Job's life, even though I'm certain that many of us, most of us, are probably very familiar with it. Job was a great man in the, in the Far East. He was one of the greatest, most rich men of his day. He had uh, camels and, and donkeys, and he had horses and animals and sheep, and he had ten children. Uh, he had land and gold and silver and had everything you could... Uh, want in that day, one of the richest men, and he was a man that was blessed primarily because he loved God. He loved God and he obeyed God, and God put his hand on Job and blessed him. The devil came before the Lord, and God mentioned Job. Have you seen my servant Job? And the devil said, yes, I've seen him, but the only reason he serves you is because you bless him. And so God said, oh, okay, well, we'll see. Why don't you take all of his blessings away from him and we'll see if he still serves me. And in a day, in a moment, 
His ten children were killed. His houses uh, and their houses were burned to the ground. He lost his gold, his silver, his animals. Lost everything just in a, in a short amount of time. And then eventually a few, uh, a short time later, he was even, uh, even lost his health. And through all this, the Bible tells us that Job sinned not with his lips. It's easy to sin, but it's really easy to sin with our lips. And Job sinned not in, in, in all of this time, but Job went through a dark valley, a deep trial, one of uh, just a thundercloud over his head of, uh, for, for many weeks and months. And then Job's friends showed up. And they were about like, like Brother Payne was to me this week. Just physicians of no value. <laughs> These friends showed up and they uh, began trying to encourage Job by telling him nice things like, well, if you wouldn't sin so much, God wouldn't curse you. They began telling Job that your problem is the fact that you're hiding your iniquity. And if you would just bring it out in the open, God would bless you again. Job, of course, knew in his heart of hearts he was convinced that he was righteous before the Lord. And we find that in Job chapter 13, verse 18. If it's open to that page, you can read it for yourself. Job says, Behold now, I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Job was certain that he was right. And he was right. And God still allowed that trial in his life. God still allowed that uh, difficulty through him. Now, very seldom in our day and age or in our life do we see a trial of this magnitude come in somebody that we knew, somebody that we know or in our own personal life. But we still go through trials. And we still go through dark times that feels almost just like this, even though it's not as bad. Trials show up in our families, sometimes between spouses or between parents and children, between uh, past relationships that seem to show up again and again, that drama and that trauma showing up in our trials. Believe it or not, trials sometimes come in the form of in-laws. Not my in-laws, I'm just saying. <laughs> trials show up in our finances. Sometimes bad decision-making or debt leads us to a place where our income does not meet our outgo. And the finances and uh, just the, the, the pressure, I know, uh, the pressure can just feel insurmountable when you look at your budget and you look at your bank statement, you look at your bills and it's just like it's never going to end. And then tax season rolls around and you just feel like it's never going to stop. Sometimes trials show up in our health disease or cancer or injury, sometimes birth defects or this pandemic that is sweeping across the world stage at this time, uh, trials hit. And when it hits you, when it's your health that's gone, when it's you laid in that bed and it's you can't get outside, it's frustrating, it's, it's such a struggle, it's a deep trial, a time of heartache and questions. Even though our trials are different, human nature is the same everywhere. We all ask the same questions. And God, as an example to us, allowed some of these questions to be outlined here in this passage. I want you to look at chapter 13, verse number 23. We'll read through this and, and see if this makes sense or if it's relevant today. Verse 23, how many are mine iniquities and my sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. You know Job's saying? What did I do? 
God, tell me, what did I do? I don't know uh, about other men in here, but I know when I get the flu, I am rock-solid tough. I don't baby or wince. I don't ask my wife to get me anything. I don't lay there and ball up like a... I am tough. Yeah. Something about men. You know, we can endure the cold weather, we can endure the hard work, but you give us a sniffle, and all of a sudden we're laid up on the couch, and we need our slippers brought to us, and we're not capable of making our own soup. We, get, we, we, have, it, we have it real tough when we're sick. But I know when I get sick, that's my first question. God, what did I do? Why do I? Why? T- turns out I just got the flu. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> But a serious health scare, that's a question that we all ask. What did, what did I do to deserve this? What are mine iniquities? What, did, what was my sin? God, why is this coming in my life? Job asked that question. Verse 24, wherefore hidest thou my face and holdest me for thine enemy? Job says, where did you go, God? Do we ask that? in the middle of our valley and our darkness, when we're praying and it seems like the heavens are brass and there's no uh, resounding going up through uh, heaven's clouds and we uh, look at God and God, where are you in our trials? He says in verse 25, Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro and wilt thou pursue the dry stubble? He says, why is this happening to me and why am I being punished further? I don't deserve this punishment. He says, "All I am, I'm like dry stubble. There's nothing left and you're going to still punish me? And we ask some of these questions too. How much longer is this going to be lasting? Verse number 26, he says, For thou writest bitter things against me and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. I don't know about you, but I've asked this one once or twice. Am I paying for sins from 10 years ago? Is that what this is? Because I know I don't have, I, I, I think I'm living right now, but maybe I'm paying for something I did when I was a teenager, which teenagers are sinless if you didn't know that. And then Job makes two statements in verse 27 and 28. I want you to look at these. It says, Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks and lookest narrowly unto all my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet. Job says, I'm locked up. There's no way out of this. My feet are in a stock. I'm a marked man. There's a print on my foot. I've got no hope of getting out of this trial. Verse number 28, he makes this statement. And he as a rotten thing consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. He says, not only am I locked up and I'm stuck and I'll never get out of this, it's going to get worse like a rotten thing that's consuming. We've all seen that as some food got left too long in the refrigerator. Bachelors uh, are particularly good at this. And you see that, and it's just growing, and that, that, rotten, it, it, that rot is just growing and growing. He says, my situation is only going to get worse. Now, I know that human nature is the same, and as we read this, it's almost like Job has been in our brain and felt our feelings and heard our thoughts. Because we ask these and we say these same things. 
don't we? Oh, man, I'm stuck. I'm never getting out of this. And it's only going to get worse. So we convince ourselves that the trial sometimes is worse than it really is because we think about it so much. Our mind gets wrapped around this and we develop things that aren't even true. We add to it in our head. And the, our trial is bad and it's difficult and we're not trying to make light of that. But sometimes in our mind, we make the trial worse in our mind than it is in reality. I don't know uh, if this is a clinical term, but I call that bad haircut syndrome. It's, it, it's off on one side. So you cut it on the other side to try to even it up. But, but now you need to cut it on the other side again. And, and, now, and pretty soon you just buzz the whole thing off. What's on the outside is bad, so we make what's on the inside bad too, trying to even it up. And then next thing you know, it's far worse than it should have been because we lose hope. We lose the fact that things will not always be this bad. We lose the fact that things will not always be so miserable. We lose sight of the fact that God does love us and he does care about us and he is interested in an expected end that he wants to bring us through this, that perhaps the trial is for our good. And we lose hope and we lose a desire and we, we lose any reason to live and we start asking these questions like Job did and then he says in verse number seven, he answers, uh, excuse me, in verse number one of chapter 14, he sums it all up. He says, man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He's given up. He's given up hope at this point. And then verse number seven, it tells us that he uh, sees something to revive this hope. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. You know, there's three ways that you can get a tree down. I was thinking about this a little bit last night. If it's a small enough tree, you can cut it down yourself. Go out there, take your axe and, or your chainsaw, if you're a power tool guy, and, and you cut that tree down all by yourself. Sometimes, though, the tree is so big, it takes two people to cut it down, or three or four. Sometimes you need an entire tree crew to come and help you get that tree down. And then sometimes there's just... A miracle, maybe a lightning bolt or something that knocks that tree over, God does it and there's no explanation for it. If you think about the good things in your life as trees, there's a time that you can cut down your own tree. Your finances sometimes, the reason you're walking through that financial valley, I know in my case it's been this way because I stood there and I chopped it down myself. Sometimes in like a relationship situation, it's two of you working to cut that thing down. And you've got one hand of that cross-cut saw, one, one handle, and they've got the other. And when you're pushing, they're pulling. And when you're pulling, they're pushing. And you're working feverishly to get that relationship to fall down. And we're working in tandem to destroy. And then sometimes, like in Job's case, the valley that you're in, the trial that you're going through, it's just an act of God. There's nothing you could have done. There's nothing that would have ever been different. It's just God trying to teach you a lesson. God is, is working in your life in a way that you do not understand. 
But those trees get cut down. It's not really important understanding why it fell so much as understanding that it can grow back. If you and I think about it, uh, there are times that it's a personal problem and we stand over this tree that we just cut down ourselves and we cry about it and say, why? Why is this tree down? We're still holding the axe. I think about our country. And it seems like to me, there's a lot of chopping and sawing and cutting trying to level this country. The leftists, the socialists, the communists. I mean, it seems like we are under an all-out attack trying to get this country to fall on its knees. There are people that are chopping and hacking and Bible-hating people and, and God-hating people and family-hating people, and they're working diligently, it seems like, to cut this tree down, this great nation down. I want to remind you that God spared Sodom and Gomorrah, or would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah, for just 10 righteous people. Abraham said, how about 50? How about 45? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? And God finally agreed to 10. If you can find 10 righteous people, I'll spare that city. I'd like to let you know there's at least 10 righteous people in this room. You telling me God does not, could not spare this country? But sometimes we get this mindset, oh, the country's going to pot. Oh, everything's so terrible. Nothing can be good. And we start saying, God, why is this happening to us? Why don't we do something about it? Why don't we take a stand and, and why don't we be the 10 righteous ones that give God a reason to spare this great country? It can sprout again. There can be some tender branches shoot out again. Revival's not that far away. It's a prayer away. We can still have hope even if the tree is cut down. There's still hope, number two, when the roots are dying. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, when it's dying, there's still hope. Yeah. Trials end. Time will march on. When that tree gets cut down, there's the roots, the trunk that's left there, that stump. And it's just a memorial to what used to be. Trials end sometime in dejection or bitterness. Sometimes your trial goes and all you've got to show for it is a lasting wound or some animosity, maybe some paranoia. We're left sometimes with defensiveness. Once that tree is cut down, the roots are there. To me, that's it. It's over. It's dead. There's nothing else that can be done. Once that tree is down, it's... What's the point in trying? But can I let you know something that occurred to me, and I hope that it occurs to you. Death does not mean the same thing to God that it does to us. Think about John chapter 11. Mary's crying. Martha's crying. They're convinced that Lazarus is dead. They come to Jesus, oh Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. 
The disciples are convinced. Oh, he's dead. Jesus is weeping. And, and the, the town of Bethany is convinced that he's dead. It's been four days. They put him in the tomb and they rolled the stone over the top and they dressed him up in the grave clothes and they had the funeral procession and the black clothes were brought out and the sackcloth and the ashes and they mourned and they wept and they had the funeral uh, meal together as a family and the whole town knew Lazarus is dead. Everyone was convinced that Lazarus was dead, except Jesus. He walked uh, there and he said, roll that stone away. Lord, he stinketh. Yeah, he does. Your trial might be rotten. It might smell terrible. You might think it's, it's dead, it's over. There's no hope left. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he doesn't walk out of the grave. He doesn't step out of the grave. He comes floating out of that tomb and he lives again. Why? Because Jesus spoke life. I love the story of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 19. Her, her child dies. Her child uh, comes home from working out in the field. They say, oh, my head, my head. And he lays down and he dies. And he's not just a little bit dead. He's dead, dead. That, that mother comes home and she says, I'm going. I'm going to find the man of God. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse, uh, I think it's verse 24. She says, saddle me an ass and slack not thy riding. Unless I bid thee. She gets that servant, she gets that donkey, and she hits that thing as hard as she can hit it, and they're off, and they're trying to find Elisha, the man of God. They get to Elisha, and Elisha says, Gehazi, go out and talk to her. She says, I don't want to talk to Gehazi. Everything's good. It is well, I think she tells him. She runs up to Elisha and says, Elisha, you've got to come. You've got to come back. And Elisha says, Gehazi, take my staff, take my robe. I want you to go down there and raise this boy from the dead. She says, no, I don't want Gehazi. I want you. As the Lord liveth, I will not depart from thee. She gets Elisha determination. That's what I call it. She was convinced that Elisha had some ability, that some God-given ability to raise her boy. And Elisha comes and he walks into that room. He stretches out over that boy and seven sneezes later, he walks out of that room. Death doesn't mean the same thing to God that it does to you and I. Your relationship that's destroyed and dead and never can be restored. Your finances that never can be restored. Your situation, your job situation, it'll never be back. It'll never be the same again. Are you sure God thinks that way? Because I know we think that way. But does God think that way? If God can raise the centurion's son, think about that. Think about this for a second. Jesus raised himself from the dead. He was dead. And he raised himself up from the dead. But he can't fix our problems. Hey, there's hope. It's not over. There is something to live for. It could be different. It will be different if we'll seek God. It says in verse number 9, yet through the scent of water. Just a little bit. You don't need a whole stream gushing through. You don't need a fire hydrant pouring water on here. You just need a little bit of water. 
to get that thing to start growing again. Get that branch to start blooming again. Get those flowers to start growing again. God can do it. It just needs a scent of water. It could show up sometimes. I know there's been times in my life, and I'm certain there are people in this room that could testify the same way, that you're just at your wit's end, and you somehow open this book, and there's just a verse. And that one verse helps you to start growing again. Or that one chapter, that one passage, whatever it is, there's that time that you just feel like uh, you're just in a, in, a, in a circular cave and there's nothing else in the world except for whatever's on the pages of this book and it changes your outlook. If that hasn't happened to you, it can. And it should. And if, and if you'll look, the Bible says, seek him. He'll be found. What do you think God's hiding from us? He wants you to look for him. And when you open up this book, it can be like that scent of water, just that one verse. Maybe it's that church service that you go to and the preacher gets up and he preaches and God's power is on him and the, the anointings of this, the Holy Spirit of God is there and the, the message speaks to your heart. You know, you've been there, maybe many of you, been in that one service and you remember where you were sitting, you remember what pew you were on, you remember where you knelt at the altar and what the text was and that, one sermon gave you that scent of water, that desire to go, go again, go try again, go try over. Maybe it was a revival service. Maybe it was a song. I know that uh, there have been some dark days in our lives just recently. And I'm, I'm thankful that God gave us a song. I've probably listened to this one song, I don't know, a thousand times. I'll put it like this, every single video in my YouTube recommended channel is somehow related to that song. God gives us a song, and it just that scent of water helps us. Maybe it's an answer to prayer. Just You've prayed, and it's very clear and evident, this must have been God. And when that happens, just trust and know God does care, and He is looking out, and it's not over with. There is hope. Don't give up. Seek Him. He will be found. Let's stand together, heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to take just a moment to open up a time of invitation. It's a different service. I know pastor's not here. Uh, Brother Caleb's not here. Many are not here. It's a different uh, feeling sometimes when there's folks absent. But if God dealt with your heart this morning, I pray that He would. I spent some time this week asking God, please use this message to encourage Calvary Baptist Church. And if God did that, if he took time to come speak to your heart, this is your opportunity now to come down and speak to him about it. Say, thank you, Lord, for whatever the Lord has done. I hope that this message was a help. Maybe you're here this morning and you think there is no hope. Maybe you're lost. You don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. I can tell you this. Life does not get good until you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life can be not just a little bit different, totally different, much better. If you don't know the Lord, this is a, this is a great opportunity for you to come. And we'll take a Bible and show you how you can know the Lord Jesus as your Savior.